Shabbat Shalom, my friend. Here we are on a Friday. <laughs> I didn't think you were really going to do it, man. But, you nah. know, a bonus. This episode, more than most, calls for something funny right in the beginning, Tyler. Um, oh, I was just being respectful. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But we've been trying for a long time to, you know, get a comedian on with us. And I can't believe it happened. We have our friend with us, Katie Kay. She is here to represent the comedian world. Katie, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. I'm so glad I'm here. Thank you so much for Thank agreeing. You. I mean, this is this is awesome. We really have been trying to get, a, a, you know, someone for so long and this totally worked out. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy it did. Um, yeah, we have too. A, <laughs> we have a million and one questions for you. You're one of the most productive people that we've ever had on the show, just hands down. You're like a very, very busy person. So that means even more that you made a little bit of time for us here. Okay, um, well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> of course. So you've been on AGT. You have your own podcast, uh, Mostly True Opinions. You host your own show called The New Shit Show. You seem to always be on a stage with a mic in front of you. And now you're working on a comedy album too, right? Yes. I, I don't even know how you're doing it, man. Like you have so much going on, dude. I mean, where do we even begin with you? How, how did you get into comedy? Um... I moved to Los Angeles, I guess it was about 10 years now, and I originally moved here for acting. Um, and then I had three different agents, um, and I just got so frustrated with having to wait for auditions. And I realized that if I tried stand-up, I could write my own material, I could book myself on shows, I could be doing a lot more faster um, and have just like a little bit more control than acting. So that's when I started stand-up. So I guess I started stand-up um, almost eight years ago. Um, and yeah, it just started going really well. So I still act. I have an agent for that as well. And I do a bunch of self-tapes. Um, but stand-up just started going really well and it helped me stay fresh. So I got into it just out of kind of frustration with the rest of the industry. <laughs> <laughs> was that Was that an easy transition for you to... To just start, like, to start going into stand-up comedy? Was it, were you, did you um, have, like, the funny bone, like, like in school yeah, or growing up with your family? Sense for sure. Like, I definitely always, even when I was acting primarily, it was mostly comedy. Um, Carol Burnett was, like, my first inspiration. And then my modern-day inspiration is, like, Kristen Wiig or Eliza Schlesinger. Um, nice. So... I've always definitely had comedic timing, which I think you either have or you don't mostly, like most of the way there. Um, yeah. But then, so it was like a natural thing for me to try. It was definitely really scary. And I definitely ate shit my first mostly entire year. <laughs> but yeah, I think you just kind of learn from messing up in stand-up. It's <laughs> a good way to look at it. What is... um. I don't want to dwell too hard on if it's hard for you, but like, what uh, are you? I what was some of the like the material that you first started out with, and has that obviously you've grown since then? But are you still kind of? I don't know how to phrase it. Like, are you? No, yeah, your, is, your material's fun. developing, obviously. Yeah, uh, I don't think I have a single joke that I say from my first two years anymore. Okay. Right, so it's definitely evolved, but it first started. Um, a lot of my material was about a breakup that I went through because I went through a breakup maybe three months before I decided to start stand-up. And so a lot of my material was about my ex and about like what I was experiencing in dating. Um, so yeah, I mean, everything when you first start is kind of lowest common denominator. Like, and you know, I would joke about how tall I was. Now, sure, that still comes out in my set sometimes, but it's less like baby's first joke style, you know. And it's more of <laughs> like throwing it out there as part of another joke instead of like, so let's address the giraffe in the room. It's me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's a little bit less like that now. Um, and my first material, like you were saying, um, was about a breakup. Okay. I, I, I have to ask because this is something that I've always wondered just being in the crowd and, and seeing it from the other side of the table I mean you have to have thick skin to do it right just having people first of all just sitting staring at you waiting for you to entertain us right 
So do you yeah. do you have thick skin? Oh, absolutely. It takes so much. <laughs> it takes so much to like hurt me at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I've literally had people heckle me and be like, oh, it's because you're a woman or like, I mean, I've had comments just like everyone else that ever has a clip do well online for as many nice comments as there are. There's 10 times more mean comments. Yeah, um, I've had everything everything under the sun said to me that I'm not funny, that I'm ugly. Like it's truly a wasteland, but it is kind of just what you sign up for. I guess when you, if you put something online, be prepared to be ripped to shreds. And if you on stage prepared for someone to not like you. So I've definitely had those instances and like for as much as I'm crushing in some shows, like if I'm having a really good show and people are laughing, I will always notice the one person that's not laughing. Do, do you sit and fixate on them? Are you like, I'm just going to say a joke and stare at this guy until this guy starts fucking laughing and then I know I'm doing something right? Um, There's a piece in the back of my head that notes if they ever do laugh or what was the one thing that got them. So sometimes I'll comment on that and be like, really? It was, it was <laughs> that got you or whatever. Yeah. Um, some people, um, I've tried not to dwell on it so much and fixate on them in a sense because some people come to shows prepared or like determined to be miserable. So there's some people that just like they're out of their house, but they shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they got, you can tell they got dragged there by their group of friends, right? Then this is the exactly. last place they want to be is sitting there. Like, who is this lady here? Exactly. Um, how do you handle hecklers though? It's, it's something I've always wondered because everyone has their own approach to it. I mean, how do you, how do you handle it or does it just change case by case? Yeah, so it's absolutely in the moment, case by case, um, but it's weirder to not acknowledge them. Like it makes everyone else in the room feel weird that you're kind of just ignoring them and plowing forward. Um, and it was definitely a lot scarier when I was newer in stand up and now I know I can handle whoever <laughs> comes my way. <laughs> it, and it's getting worse because now there's so many viral clips um, that comics are posting about like where they're getting oh. heckled and where they make it funny. But now people in the audience are like, oh, well, that's fair game. And now what if I'm part of a viral clip? So I think it's getting even worse where people are not respecting like who's on stage now. Yeah. Uh, so like I'm it's having, a challenge. Yeah. So I'm having to deal with that way more than usual. But most of the time, 80% of the time, I will try a light roast and befriending them instead and 20 percent of the time i would say they're just too either wasted or just a giant piece of shit um <laughs> <laughs> and then i have to just shut them down or i've never had anyone kicked out while i'm on stage i've had someone kicked out while i was hosting a show and someone else was on stage but yeah. and and how does that happen i mean is there a signal between you and management or does management just own up to it and walk over and say dude you gotta get out of here yeah it's mostly uh like every comedy club should have security and so it's mostly like a security person just sees that someone's belligerent and completely derailing the show and they'll usually give them like a whispered warning first of like hey if you continue we have to kick you out and then after that they'll just be like all right you gotta go yeah that's that's fair i mean on time <laughs> it's been time. Yeah, they should have a hook the way they did at the Apollo Theater just to pull random people off this, you know, out of the crowd, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um so I, I know way to go about it. Yeah, that would yeah, that would be a, a funny way on both sides. Um so you did come in starting uh wanting to be an actress. Um is is being in the spotlight just something that that comes naturally to you? Or are you just more comfortable entertaining being in the front of the crowd? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that I've always wanted to do that. Like since I popped out of the womb, I <laughs> feel like I've had that kind of energy and I've never really had a plan B. I've had plenty of day jobs, as you know, um, but I've never had necessarily a plan B for full on career um, besides being in comedy, whether that's acting or stand up or podcasting some form of comedy. Yeah. 
and and you're honestly you're doing great about it like we you know I, i've been a fan for a long time tyler just literally was watching a, a piece of one of your sets before we before we got you on here you, your timing is impeccable honestly oh thank you i yeah. think that's from doing it for so long at this point but <laughs> Uh, but some people just don't have it. I mean, some people just don't have it. I mean, we've all been, obviously, I'm sure you've been also in the backstage and you're like, dude, this guy's just, this is sad. Like, this is hard to watch right here. Yeah, you have a charisma. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Do you, do you have a pre-show routine, something to help you get into character or calm your nerves? Um, I would like to be cool and say yes, but not really. Um, I... Uh, I guess I I'll stand in the back like depending on where I am in the show if I'm headlining or not um I'll stand in the back and listen to what the crowd is responding to and what they're like uh in general because that is something pre-show I don't just like to go out on stage like seconds before and have not like been in the room at all so I like to listen to who's going before me and also it helps like if a comic is talking about a certain subject already that you were going to talk about or if there's a heckler or if they already asked the audience about themselves it's good to like already know that and not redo mm. it so it's not redundant when you're on stage um so i will like get a feel for the audience before i go on stage and then i'll write a set list but i'm always down to go off the list if that makes sense so yeah, i'll write what i think will go well and what i think would fill the right amount of time so like if i'm doing 10 15 30 40 like depending on how many minutes i get on stage i'll write a set list of what i think will fill the time and what i think would go over well in this room but then always be willing to divert <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's the plan b you were talking about earlier speaking yeah. of set lists I've always wondered this and I'm always embarrassed because this, I think almost falls into the, like, how do you get your material kind of question? But like, <laughs> do you, when you have your comedy, when you have like your, your anecdotes, your punchlines, is that literally all written out somewhere and you memorize it? Or do you just know your wording looking at that set list? Yeah. So some comics do write it out word for word, like a script, basically, but I don't. So there's no wrong way, really. But I will write an idea, like um, just like a half sentence of the premise of a joke, and then I'll work it out on stage. And after just like doing it enough times, you kind of get like the different beats of the story um, and the wording. And then yeah, no. So I never have ever written down um, a set word for word in my life, but some people that's awesome. do. So that's awesome. I like that. I don't know. I like that a lot. I think that's awesome. Like, that's very yeah. brave of you. What if people start Impressive. laughing? You're like, yeah, wait, where the fuck was I? About? What was I about to say? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And like, I'll, I'll voice record myself if I'm working on something new so that I can go back and hear and make sure parts to keep if that makes sense yeah um of like where people laughed or where they responded and then which parts were silent and i can just cut that out next time um so yeah it's all it's truly just like trial and error and a bunch of feedback and being really present in the moment to like be able to pivot like if i'm doing five minutes on my family or depression or something and people aren't responding or they're just smiling then i'll just be like all right <laughs> Uh, if, if I was planning on doing 10 more minutes on my family or whatever, I'll just pivot and be like, you know what? Doesn't seem like they're into this. So let me pick a different like topic and switch. That's so fucking cool, man. That's wow. super, super yeah. impressive. So, so you really are catering the material as you're going. This is, this is happening live with the reaction of the people. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And I was going to say, um, also you do cater for the audience you're performing for, right? I mean, you're not going to make cancer jokes to to you know a bunch of kids right oh absolutely um <laughs> yeah that's a really good point however there's been a couple times that it totally not bit me in the ass but it was so funny because i didn't realize who was in the room so i just did a show recently at the hollywood improv and ron funches was on the lineup 
And I have a new joke about being asked to do. Um, <laughs> I was asked to be the special guest at an autism awareness charity uh, show. Oh no! And yeah. I so basically <laughs> part of the joke is like, but but like why? <laughs> why do you want me to be the special guest? Yeah, why you? <laughs> Am I autistic? Like, anyway. So I was like, how do you know? Like. And it's fine if I am, but I just don't want to find out on stage, like kind of was the gist of it. Yeah. And then I introduced him after me and I forgot that he has an autistic son. Oh, and, no. oh. <laughs> and he goes, he, he went up on stage and he's like, first of all, I approve of that joke, but <laughs> and then he was like, but I don't know that chick, but she's definitely autistic. And I was like, what the fuck? And also diagnosed me. He kind of doubled down. Um, so I thought that was really funny. I still don't think I'm autistic, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to feel more comfortable with you. Honestly, we're 15 minutes and I'm starting to feel more comfortable. And I'm going to let my hair down a little bit. Now we can talk like friends already. Like the, the, the jitters are, are off. I have to ask now, now that we're friends, do you have jokes that you talk to with your friends and you're like, this is so fucking good. But if I said this, they would, they would crucify me. I would be hung outside of the, the bar. Canceled. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I just think the way that the world is now, there's a lot yeah. that you joke about with friends that would come off as insensitive or not as woke as you, as people would hope. So there's definitely a lot and, you know, but it's not some people are like oh it's ruining comedy like the way of the world i don't think it's ruining comedy i just think it's making you have to work a little harder like instead of going for you know the lowest hanging fruit it's making comics have to like, be a little smarter and write about something more universal so definitely i have that side of me just like everyone <laughs> does with their friends or like right and like we joke around and stuff but um but yeah i'm not as like upset as i think some comics are about like the way of the world <laughs> but but it does definitely it does definitely change you know your approach to it. just like just like you had just said it, it does it is in your mind when you write a joke you're like if i say this I, I it's over for me totally or like i go to a writing group sometimes um with like six other comics and sometimes this like there's a guy or a, a woman of color in the group and they'll like give me a tag or like a suggestion for another part of the joke and i'll be like you guys i can't say that <laughs> like <laughs> it'll it would work if they said it because there's a man saying it or there's a woman of color saying it and it's from their experience so they can right. say it but if they give it to me as part of a suggestion for my joke i will get canceled as a white woman <laughs> so <laughs> Well, well, it's it's good now that you know the the autism door has been opened for you. So now you have a whole new set of you know a whole new line of jokes that you can work on, right? Yeah, according to Ron Funches, I should be really capitalizing <laughs> on this, but we'll see. <laughs> um, have you ever had anyone rip off your material just blatantly, like you said a joke and you just hear someone else say it, or they're like, "Hey, did you hear Tyler said this joke?" and it's like blatantly something you said or wrote. No, so not blatantly. Um, I've had that happen to some friends and it's just so honestly so frustrating and terrifying to think that your original thought would just be for someone else. But I've had where it's like a not direct ripoff, but it's like the subject and the same subject. And so it could totally be that it's just parallel trains of thought because, you know, some things aren't super unique. Um, right. but, and that's what kept me from posting clips for so long. It kept me from posting clips of my stand up on social media because I was like, well, if I post my material, then people can just steal it all. But now everyone's posting everything. So it's kind of more like proof that it's yours. That's true. Um, so that's a it's a double edged sword of like, well, if I posted this in 2017, then and you said it in 2020, then I said it first type of thing. But it's also just someone told me because there was people like feuding in Vegas and trying to cancel each other's careers over this one joke that they both had and no one could agree on who said it first and blah, blah, oh blah. My God. <laughs> and 
someone told me the funniest things about you and your jokes, like the royal you, not specifically me, should be that no one else could say it the same way and that it wouldn't be as funny coming out of anyone else's mouth. So it's like the challenge to kind of write stuff that are from your unique point of view and from your life that if someone else said it, it would be just not as funny. It wouldn't be as authentic. No, that makes that makes perfect sense, honestly. And and it also leads me to my next question. Do you find more inspiration in the wild or amongst like-minded people? Are you funnier with funny people or do you just see something at the grocery store and you're like, God, this writes itself? Um, I think you should definitely always surround yourself with people that make you funnier, like people you admire that make you funnier. So like I try to hang out with comics that I think are hilarious um, <laughs> instead of just people, you know, like open micers that I don't necessarily aspire to be like. Um, so that, but I would say honestly, 80% of my material has come from living my life. So uh, whenever I have like writer's block or I feel like I haven't written a new joke in a few weeks or something, I will attempt to go like do something or hang out with friends or take a little trip or because I feel like that's where I get inspiration and that's where like a bunch of stories that I tell on stage are from. Yeah, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, do you ever see anything and you're like, this can't fucking be real right now? And and just just if you embellish it ever so slightly, no one would believe that this really happened to you. Yeah, definitely. But so that's the thing is like, it's finding the twist on the funny shit that happens to you because because technically, right, anyone could just make up any funny story and say it on stage and be like, yeah, that really happened, regardless of if it did. Yeah. Um, or like funny stuff happens because I'll have family or friends or whatever be like, you should write a, you know, how like parents will be like, write a skit about that or whatever they say. Yeah, um, skit. You should use this as your material or like I'll have family members be like, you, you should use me in your jokes. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what you, what they're not seeing is just like, okay, this is pretty quote unquote like mundane in the large scale of things. And it's going to just sound like I'm making fun of my aunt, which is mean, <laughs> and then turn on you. So, so I think it's just like finding a way to flip whatever is actually happening and that is funny in the moment and then like look at it from a different angle, if that makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. Have you ever had a crowd turn on you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, oh, is there really? a story you can share with us? Um, yeah, I think so. I have a bunch of jokes about my dad. I haven't talked to him in 10 years and he's a bad person. So I have jokes that I've tried to make approachable to audiences. Um, and some are super down for it. Like some audiences are like, give us more like this is hilarious like you're roasting him so hard like so into it and especially if they have you know if I happen to have an audience where there's people that have like daddy issues or if they don't have great relationships with their families or whatever if they can relate then they're into it but if there's a bunch of dads in the audience or there's people that love their families um, <laughs> sometimes it alienates them and they just like clench up and I always say on stage i'm like okay you can unclench your buttholes now i'll talk about <laughs> else. Like, like so it just depends like not fully turn on me to the point where someone would want me off stage or like boo me or anything like that but turn on me in the sense of like cross their arms and clench up and they're just not all they're not about it so then i'll be like all right fine we can pivot like you're not <laughs> bad jokes it's okay yeah i'll save it for therapy never mind <laughs> exactly <laughs> do you remember your very first experience on stage or in front of a crowd just performing comedy yes oh good my cat wants to be part of the podcast that i'll be honest with you people can't see it at home but but the reason i keep uh muting and unmuting my mic is because just like you have my, my two cats keep jumping onto my lap and onto the microphone they want they want to be part of it too 
Right. The 23 hours a day that we're not podcasting, they don't care about being yeah. on the <laughs> they need to touch the microphone. Um, I swear. I swear. So, yes. Yeah, so my first time on stage doing stand up because I did like some theater and stuff in high school and college and went to college for that. But for stand up specifically, I did a writing class to start like writing my first set, which was basically just once a week meeting, having a deadline to write something and performing it in front of five people and then everyone giving each other feedback. So that was whatever. But then I went to my first open mic in Hollywood in a strip mall. Um, Oh, no. Nice. And... I took my friend with me and I was the only girl in the room and there were only like 10 people in this room and sorry, the cat, I'm like moving the cat as I speak. Um, there were only like 10 people in the room and I was the only girl and I, it was my first ever set, not in the, cl- the writing class. And I did like five minutes. It was deathly silent and Like, you could hear a pin drop the entire time. No one even gave me, like, a pity laugh. Not even your friend? Uh, She was just, like, having third-hand, like, embarrassment for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. So she was just, like, totally silent, like, staring at me. Everyone was just staring, like, whatever. So it was horrible. I bombed the entire five minutes. And then I left the stage went outside and was like, I should never speak into a microphone again. I'm not funny. This is not for me. Like I was like, I should never speak again. And I went downstairs in the strip mall and it was like, there was a bar call. I can't like the woods or something in East Hollywood. It was right below the open mic. And I was like, yes, I do need a drink right now. Perfect. So we go in and at the bar is Eliza Schlesinger, who I just said was one of my Wow. Uh, current comedy idols. She has five Netflix specials and two books. So she was sitting there and she turned around when I walked in. I had no, like, I didn't think I was being loud, but she turned around and looked at me and went, Oh my God, I have that shirt. And I was wearing a stupid fucking like tank top that said Harvard Law, just kidding. <laughs> On it. And She's like, I have that shirt. And I was like, oh, my God, really? And then she, like, called me over to talk to her again, was shitting myself. I was like, Eliza? is your hero. (laughs) And then she talked to me. And I was, I don't know why I said this, but I was like, oh, did you just do the mic upstairs? Like, I don't know. I'm an idiot. But I was like, why are you here? And she's like, no, I'm just meeting my friend for a drink. And then she was like, oh, but you're a comic. And I was like, yeah. And then she gave me her friend's email at the comedy store to reach out and get booked in the belly room uh, on the C word show. And so she gave me like a contact to start doing another show. Little did she know I sucked so bad and I did not reach out to that person for like six more months (laughs) because I didn't want to embarrass myself at the comedy store, but it gave me like I need to keep doing this. This was a sign from the universe to not just stop speaking. This was yeah, like yeah. your Sandlot Babe Ruth moment. Exactly. Yeah. I. It's. It doesn't even sound real, but I promise it is. That's that's fucking wild, man. And meeting your hero downstairs after you just bombed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you ever go back to that place? Like, like having having that history there, would you ever go back and just fucking slay over there? Or are you like, this place is dead to me, it's never happened, and it doesn't exist in this world? Um, I totally would go back. I don't know if it exists anymore. I think it's one of those, like, little spaces that went out of business during the pandemic. But I would be open to, like, rewriting history. I just think that I blocked it out of my head for a while, and now I don't think it exists anymore. <laughs> Walking like a badass now. Sorry, yeah. everybody, listen. Yeah. Laugh. <laughs> exactly. Um, what did I want to ask you here? Uh, how many times do you practice a joke or a routine before knowing if it's a joke that's going to stay or go? Ooh. Um, it really depends because... So I'll put new material 
um, always in the middle of my set. So I'll pad it with stuff that I know works at the front or at the end. Just in case it bombs, I can bring it back or, you know, get people to trust you first before you try something new. Um, so I'll put it in the middle. And then depending on the audiences, I will – if I get three times in a row that it just bombs, then I'll rework it or never say it again. Um, yeah. But if it's like, oh, this time there, it totally worked and the next time they just weren't into it. If it's like on and off, then I'll just try to rework it, but I'll keep trying it. But if it's like, okay, this is just something people don't care about for three times in a row, then I'll be like, all right, never mind. <laughs> it was only funny to me. So so that's a question that I have because that happens to us a lot on this show. Not to us. It happens to me. Tyler's like, Tyler just doesn't fucking miss. He's the Eliza Schlesinger of our, of our show and I'm you for your very first time. Um, <laughs> um what do you do you get upset when you say a really clever joke and it just fucking just no one no one laughs and everyone's just staring at you and you're like people don't deserve this joke like you just you can't handle this caliber of 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 comedy do you get upset at it or or are there no hard feelings um no i totally get what you're saying but i think for me i have to completely take ego out of it and i'm just like okay well I guess that was just that one's for me and <laughs> I try not to get because my least favorite thing to see in other comics is when they turn on the audience um, and or if they say like oh that was funny I'm like yeah. well <laughs> if it was if it was people would have laughed or yeah. you know so well, they literally say that instead of laughing yeah exa exactly, exactly oh boy so I try really hard to just be like, all right, noted. Or I'll even say, like, I'll never say that again. Thank you for the feedback. Or, you know, <laughs> I try to at least play off of it and acknowledge the elephant in the room if it bombs. Um, yeah. I, I, I like your way of backing out of things. I like that you were able to laugh your way, you know, as you walk backwards and say, I'll show myself out. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the joke specifically that happened last week, and I'm happy you're here because you can rate it for us. Um, we did a phobia and fetish episode, which I, um, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was wild. And a phobia came up called zero phobia. It's X-E-R-O phobia. And I prefaced it. I told Tyler, I'm like, this is every porn star's, you know, nightmare. It's the fear of dryness. <gasps> <laughs> you see that that little hesitation. And Tyler, just like he is right now, just stared at the microphone. And he's like, what am I doing with my life that it's 4 p.m. And this is... <laughs> This is what I have to listen to. This See, I thought we are. It was, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, God damn you, Tyler. <laughs> but I think that was funny. You see, but not everyone appreciates it. It was definitely unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to have to no. make people think, right? When 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 they're laughing, they should just laugh, right? Yes, and it's definitely kind of like it's the the jump scare of it because you're waiting to find out what it is and then you're like oh okay yes no yeah. i like it's like everyone has different styles too and that's kind of like a one-liner um and so people can totally get away with that where it's like they're leading you one way and then they double back and it's kind of just like a one-liner switch where yeah. i guess most of my material is more like story form so I don't get away with that as much if I'm telling a story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I, I have a question, and it's a two-part question here, if, if you don't mind sharing with us. And and I don't know if it was your very first experience or if there's something even worse. What is the worst experience that you've ever had on stage, and how were you able to get out of it? Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I had a college gig that I did so um at colleges you do an hour alone on stage Jeez. no one else that's booked so it's just you and um <laughs> so yeah there's like no host or anyone to come back up or finish out the show or anything like that so I did this show when it was still pretty heavily COVID times and they wanted me to wear my mask the whole show. 
while you're I, up on stage by yourself? Yes. And okay. <laughs> so I did, but I swear. So, and then I show up. So I thought that was going to be the hardest part was, okay, talking for an hour into a mask, into a microphone on stage, like trying to be expressive. Like half of comedy is like seeing your face say it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so not being like having my face covered was really hard. And I even got like these clear masks to see if that would work, but I was like hyperventilating. So all you could see was like my breath in the mask. <laughs> so it was like not even helpful. <laughs> you must have looked frightening in that mask. Yeah, it was, it was terrifying. And I was getting like lightheaded and stuff. So it was not good, but that was <laughs> also just like, I thought that was going to be the hugest thing to overcome, and that was only part of it. <clears throat> then they walked me into a cathedral. Oh, and no. Oh, boy. There were about, like, a lot of college shows I do have hundreds of kids. Like, it's most of the, you know, it's a huge thing on campus, like a huge event or whatever. So there were 16 total students at this show, and they were in 16 separate pews in this cathedral. Wow. Oh my. So all your Jesus jokes were left at the door immediately. Yeah. So then I'm on stage with the literal, like Jesus is on the cross. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I'm in a mask and there's 16 people and a cathedral, like it's really big. So the ceilings are super tall. Everyone's spread out and there's only 16 humans, but they're like a hundred feet apart. <laughs> It doesn't make for a good comedy show, It let me tell you. And so for an hour, I was struggling through just trying to get through the words. Like, it was so bad. So even when people would laugh, it would – they were wearing masks, so it would be muttered under the mask. Then they were so far apart, there was no, like, energy of, okay, this is a show. People are laughing. They It would fall flat every single time. <laughs> Even one person giggled, they would it would immediately just fall flat. And then I was like worried about passing out because I was got like halfway through and I was like, okay, I'm getting lightheaded now. <laughs> so yeah, I think that was like the worst show of my life. But I got what, through it. So what a freaking nightmare, man. And the acoustics are great in there too. So it like I'm sure the silence was deafening, right? Like if the jokes didn't Absolutely. go through. Yeah, it was bad. You, you just turn back around and you see Jesus with the tear in his eye. You're like, yeah, me too, big man. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> how uh, how often did you travel around during COVID? Um, not a ton. I definitely kept safe with like the protocol and stuff. And then also, most people didn't want to have shows, so we were. I was like honestly out of work regarding comedy for so much of it. Um, so I was completely out of shows, no stage time for almost two years. And then Jeez. essentially like this show happened when they started to lift flight restrictions and stuff again. They started to have some sort of travel again. Um, and it was one of my first shows back. So that added to it being really panicky and difficult because I hadn't done a show in like two years. And then I was going right to doing an hour alone and in a Oof. mask. So Jeez. it was like it was like a slap in the face back to reality. <laughs> uh, that that's that's really tough. I mean, are there are there because I, I've heard of uh, people doing Zoom stand up. Is that something you would do, or are you like, no, I'm not into it? Um, I have. So I definitely am not super into it. It's not really a great medium for stand up, but I've done it when. I needed to. So I did some corporate Zoom shows to make money during the pandemic. Like when there was no other stage time, I just said yes to it and I got through it. Um, I've done some colleges on Zoom and essentially like if they'll pay me, I will get over it and just do it. I really don't enjoy them. Are there are there venues that you absolutely just don't go to? You're like, this is not for me. Like I'm not going to make jokes while people are stripping on a, on a pole here? Um, sometimes like, so weirdly enough, like some of those alt venues have been some of the most fun shows because like the audience is just down to have a good time. 
Um, I will say I did stand up in a bowling alley once and I'll never do that again. <laughs> Is it just too loud? Yeah, it's just really distracting and no one can hear you. So that sucked. And then um, like I even used to run a show at a cat cafe where there were cats like running around. And so that was a whole chapter that was fun. Um, But what's another one I decided not to do? Like it's really just been if the people that own it end up being creepy. So like. But those are ones that you do one time and then say, I'm never going back. I don't want to see, I don't want to ever see Eric again. Right. It's like that type of a deal. Yeah, exactly. So I, there's not many of them, honestly, but like the comedy Chateau in North Hollywood is one of them that I won't do shows at anymore. (laughs) Because of what you just said. Yeah. All right. It's a pretty, it has a pretty bad reputation among, probably not among like just society, but among comics, it has a pretty bad reputation. Jeez. Well, we're, we're, we're here naming names. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not afraid to name names. It's fine. <laughs> uh, what, what, would you like to go over your list with us and just tell us who you do and don't hate? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot like that. Uh, let me get my scroll. No, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> my scroll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when a set goes well and you absolutely crushed it, I mean, as you're walking off stage and high-fiving and kissing babies, like, what are you thinking in your head when you just crushed it? The room's in stitches right now. Um... The I honestly hold on to those moments for like the bad shows. So I try to remind myself of like, okay, ride this high for a couple of weeks. Like if you, you know, if you do another show, that's not great tomorrow or the next day, like remember this feeling a little bit. It's just like validating to have those really good moments in between all the, you know, <laughs> all the crap. That they're doing <laughs> right. um, like I had a show in Asheville, uh, I did a festival in Asheville and it was like a 500 person sold out theater. It wow. was amazing. My set went so well. I was like, I hope they recorded that like so I can have the tape, you know, really excited. And then they were trying to give everyone as much stage time as possible while we were in town. And so they were like, oh, we have another spot for you down the street at this bar. And so I went to this bar like 30 minutes after I just annihilated in this theater and I went to this basement like speakeasy vibe type thing and every every single comic that went up just like ate shit and I went up and kind of like halfway through my set I just acknowledged to myself like okay this sucks so hard no one was like everyone in the bar was drinking and talking not listening there shouldn't have been a show going on like no one paying attention to the comics at all which is fine but also like let's just call it then why are we doing this seriously wow but I just remember like thinking to myself how quickly the mighty have fallen like I just (laughs) Oh, good an hour ago and now i'm reminded like you ain't shit like every time i feel like i do so well i then do a show where i'm like never mind (laughs) so um you you like i said in the very beginning you are one of the busiest people that we've ever had on this show i mean you you were on agt as a contestant what was that like for you yeah so it was cool um i uh so I auditioned for AGT as a stand-up comedian for three years. And the backstory to that, like, they really liked me. I was I met some of the casting people at a festival. And so instead of having to stand in line with, you know, the actual, like, thousands and thousands of people to get an audition for AGT, I got appointments each time. Nice. Um, which was like a miniature flex, I guess, but then I didn't get through. So, um, but they liked me and I had, I was friends with one of them. So she did text me after the third year and was like, dude, I just can't let this keep happening. Like you're really funny. We do like you, but you don't have a good enough backstory like to, for us to like feature you on the show. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, oh wow. All right. So she was honest with me, which I appreciated because I kept being like, why can't I get through the next round? (laughs) And then middle of the pandemic, um, she hit me up and was like, 
hey, we need someone to play this character on AGT. Hear me out. Um, you would be a jello wrestler. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then she There's goes, videos of this, Tyler. Yes. Yes, there are. Um, and I was like, okay, who am I wrestling? And she goes, um, the entity of Jello itself. And I was like, oh my God. And then she was like, well, do you want to do it? And I hadn't worked comedy wise in a year and a half at this point. So she got me and I was like, sure. What won't I do for a TV credit? The right. answer is nothing. So I, <laughs> so I made 40 batches of Jello and got a kiddie pool on Amazon and went to my friend's garage and filmed an audition tape as this character, America's little sister. And then she wrote back, LOL. It took oh, Also, it took me two days to make 40 batches of Jello. Like, it was insane. Oh. It filled up two different fridges at my friend's house. So I did all this. She wrote back, LOL, said nothing else for two months. I was like, <laughs> cool. I wasted my life. What a dumb story. Yeah. <laughs> and then two months later, she called me on Facebook Messenger, which was very like random and weird. And then mm -hmm. she was like, Hey, what are you doing in April? You're going to be on TV. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> I was like, excuse me? And so then I realized it was going to be real and that I was going to be really embarrassing and that I wasn't getting on for stand-up and the world was opening back up again. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done to my career? But I just <laughs> did it anyways. And then when they film you, it took... So I had to be the last act of the day because it's messy on the stage. Right. And I ended up waiting for three days to film it in this warehouse that's just like empty because uh, they would run out of time for me each day because they oh, would like be behind. So I was waiting for three days to film this and then I finally got to, but I was kind of disgruntled by the time that I got on stage to do this. And so I was being pretty snarky. And then Howie Mandel was like, are you a comic? And I was like, yes, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, why didn't you come for stand up? And I looked to the side of the stage and went, why didn't I come for stand up? Yeah, right. That's a good question. We <laughs> <laughs> get this in writing. Like, let's do this. So I did the whole whatever audition where I got X'd out on season 16. Duh. I was hired to do that. Um, it's not my actual talent. A bunch of my family in Arkansas was like, why did you pick that as your talent? And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> uh, it's not like that. I was cast, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, they filmed a bunch of stuff with me ripping my cape off and ripping off my, the, my headband and the jello and being like, this isn't the last you've seen of me. And they were going to have me come back for stand up. Smash cut to five months later, they called me back and were like, hey, we are having AGT Extreme film this summer. And I was like, cool. Anyways, can I come back for stand up? And they were like, cool. Anyways, we want you back as the character. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Get the jello. <laughs> I was like, neat. That's um, not what I was thinking. And they were like, cool. Well, you... So when it aired on season 16, I was literally on screen for like 30 seconds, like truly yeah. barely anything. And they're like, well, you would be on screen for like 15, 20 minutes. We would do a whole thing on you. We would bring a team with you. We would fly you to Atlanta for a week, blah, blah, blah. I did it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, it was what they said. And they integrated like one of the judges was Nikki Bella and she flipped me over her head and <laughs> that went viral. So that was cool. But um, yeah, I was this jello wrestling character. Sorry, short story long um, in <laughs> two different seasons of AGT and have yet to do stand up on their stage. But yeah, my God, man, Jesus. So do you put on your yeah, right. Do you do you put on your resume that you were uh, suplexed by Nikki Bella, or is that just something you know, just just for the ages? Um, it's 
<laughs> it's like a fun fact that I'll whip out, you know, if you all the like dumb icebreakers that people ask you at like a new job or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's a good icebreaker. I have it on my resume that I was on like NBC and AGT. So like I can at least use it as a TV credit. But yeah, the Nikki Bella thing is more just like a fun fact, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's awesome. And honestly, that you just totally unveiled uh, the Hollywood magic that happens here because so many people want to come here, be an actor, actress, and then be on TV. And they don't know that you're waiting in a warehouse for three days to get 30 seconds of of something that you weren't intending to even do, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's quite a lot. And, you know, I am grateful that it happened, but it isn't all the glitz and glamour that people assume it is, I guess. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. How does and Jenna about- keep after that amount of time? <laughs> what? Sorry? No, what did you say? How how well does Jello keep after that amount of time? Oh, funny you should ask because it was essentially water by the time I got on stage. <laughs> Thought so. Like, Thought so. Yeah, okay. it doesn't keep well at all. And so it was essentially just like splashing around in a slushy. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. That's disgusting. And then oh. for AGT Extreme, they didn't use Jello at all. They used... Uh, um, you know that powder that you're supposed to pour on puke? <laughs> like, Baking soda? Do- like sawdust? Uh, it's like what... Sh- I guess some people use sawdust, but it's like a white um, like powder that I think janitors use or whatever that essentially like clumps. Okay, yeah. So okay. They used a, a shit ton of that powder and red food coloring for AGT Extreme Ouch. instead of... Yeah, instead of Jello. <laughs> oh, so right. what it sounds like to me is that you need be- better uh, uh, representation, and Tyler and I are willing to take that on and become your managers. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. um, tell us about we'll your podcast. Yeah, mostly true opinions. How how often do you record? How often do you release episodes? How, how did that get started? Yeah, um, we record once a week. We release every Monday. It's at least up by Tuesdays. Um, so every single week we release a new episode. And yeah, I've been doing it for I think almost six years now with my husband Cameron. And he has the radio background um, and so and the podcasting background. So we just started doing it when I moved in with him when we were dating. And he had like all the equipment already and I had funny things to say and it worked out. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. And that, and that's called mostly true opinions. That one. Um, yeah. The other project I want to talk about is the new shit show, which I fucking love that name. Like I, I kind of hate <laughs> you cause I wish that was our name. Like how do you even come up with something <laughs> like that? So what is yeah. the new shit show? Well, yeah, it's a stand-up show that I do once a month. I used to do it in LA at Flappers, and then I moved it down to San Diego at Mike Drop Comedy. And then in March, I'm actually doing the first one. Um, I'm going to do every other month in San Diego and every other month in Arizona. Um, wow. So that'll be fun. Uh, we'll see. I hope that it works out to be that. But um, yeah, I started the show because I used to run a show pre-pandemic and I enjoyed that. But then um, I I had a co-producer and everything for that one. So I wanted to run one by myself um, and give make myself try new jokes. So it's so hard to decide which shows to try new stuff on because you don't want to like bomb in front of a really important crowd or like disappoint a headliner or, you know, like you're always trying to impress someone in comedy. And I wanted to like force myself and my friends that I will that I book on the show, like force us to try new shit. So and not and not in an open mic atmosphere, like with an actual audience instead of just other comics. So I like essentially marketed as we all promise to debut new material. So then audiences want to be the first to hear something if the lineup is good enough. so yeah, so that's how it was born. Is just I wanted to make myself try new stuff and give comics an excuse to do new material in front of an audience. And that yeah, could go really well or really bad too, though, right? 
Definitely. There's been some, uh, there's definitely been some bombs, uh, (laughs) but I try to book people that I know can recover, like if they have something that goes downhill, um, or people that are just like inherently funny so they can play it off. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's part of the power of like, at least being the person that's booking the show. I know, you know, it's not going to be a total shit show. (laughs) Did did you create the show with the idea of uh, um, did you create the show with an idea of people you wanted to feature or did you do it in hopes of having like people come to you with collaboration ideas also? Yeah, I think I had like a grouping of people in mind that I've worked with before that I wanted to book. But yeah, I'm definitely always open and like I'll meet new people all the time and then book them, you know, for a couple months out or something. So it's it's been cool because anytime you produce a show, you end up meeting more people than you would have if you just did, you know, if you didn't produce a show, it's a lot less networking, I guess. Is is it hard to vet people when you're a comedian? Because I, I, I feel like everyone thinks they're a comedian. I think everyone thinks they're funny. And I'm sure as a comedian, you get approached a lot like, hey, what do you think about my stupid joke? And, you know, they tell it to you and you're just staring at them. <laughs> is is it hard to vet people and be like dude you're funny amongst your group of friends that know you and know your joke but no one's gonna think this is funny on a stage yeah kind of I've had um that happen recently actually where someone sent me like a voice memo to be on my show and it was like not even a set in front of an audience it was just like him talking in his bedroom and I was like okay Okay. I essentially don't book anyone that I haven't seen in person at a show. Like that's fair. That seems safe. Yeah, that's you doing your due diligence. So you're not you're not watching them bomb live along with everyone else. Exactly. Um, And then as a comedian, this is something I've always wanted to ask. Do you when you tell people or when people find out you're you're a comedian, does the first question always say, Tell me a joke? Like, is that annoying? Yeah, so it's definitely not my favorite. I used to work at a restaurant and I don't know why I didn't just always lie, but sometimes I would tell people I was a comic. Um and then that was like the first thing they would say. And it's just like, sure, I could, but it's not the same and it's not the right environment and like I'm not yeah. a damn monkey, you know. <laughs> so, I or like I would get away with sometimes being like, "Well, then pay me, like come see one of my shows then." Yeah, like, yeah. Pay for yeah, a they, ticket. They want a preview. Exactly. <laughs> um, what do you have planned for 2023? The year's just started. We're in January. You're you're so freaking busy. You have so many projects going on. What does 2023 look like for you? Yeah, um, I am going to be, I mean, touring slash just doing a bunch of local shows too. Um, so my dates are always posted on Instagram. I have them tagged like pinned, I guess, in one of my top posts. That's where all my stand-up dates are always. And then I have a comedy album coming out, like you mentioned. Um, I picked a release date finally. So it's going to be February 20th um, Ooh, is when it will come out. It's called I Am The Trash. So. I-, <laughs> I love, I love that. that. Tell us yeah, about your comedy album. I mean, that's why... Yeah. That that's really why you're here. I mean, thank you so much for answering all of our bullshit for an hour. But really, you're here to tell us about your comedy album. What is a comedy album? Is it your greatest hits? What what do you have on there? Yeah. So thank you for laughing at the name. That's a good sign. Um, <laughs> the rest of the album. I yeah. So it's 50 minutes of material um, that I have worked on over the past few years, and I they're broken up into tracks, just like. A music album I guess of like the theme of each section of jokes um and I filmed it or I recorded it live in San Diego over the course of two nights I did two takes of it just in case like you know for sound I just got so worried about putting all of it on one night like what if one of the microphones ended up being fucked up after or whatever <laughs> right um so I yeah I did it two nights in San Diego um and then we are in the editing process. Like everything's pieced together the way I want it. It's just now about like doing the levels, like mastering it in the post-production phase essentially. But it is definitely something I'm proud of. There's 
a lot of stuff I left out because I do have more material than that, but it's just kind of the stuff that I felt like I really resonated with, like that has, that tells a lot about my personality and the stuff that I'm really into in my set right now. And it is kind of cool because like I also recorded clips, like I recorded a video. So I will be putting out some promo clips from the actual album recording night in the next month, basically. Nice. That's amazing. Is this your first comedy album? Is this the first one you're releasing? Yeah, it is. So it's always been something I've considered doing, but I think doing anything too soon can be hugely like a disservice in comedy. So I was always worried about making an album or like a special or, you know, anything like that too soon in my career where if you put yourself out there like that, but you're not really ready, then it almost like hurts you more than it helps you. Um, So I finally felt like I'm definitely ready to do this. And yeah, I think the goal too is like, I'll put the tracks on all the regular platforms that you would hear any album on, but then also on Sirius, um, that's where comics can make actually like money off of uh, having it played on Sirius. That's that's awesome. And that comes out February 20th, right? Yes. Okay. And, and the title one more time? I am the trash. <laughs> I, I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have to ask, and this is something, and I'm sorry we're running a little bit long. I just have to ask because this is something that I struggle with in my day-to-day, and I think you're the perfect person to ask. How do you keep yourself from laughing? Do you ever just lose it? Because I lose it all the fucking time. Do you ever lose it? Yeah, definitely. But I think it's one of those moments, like kind of like on SNL when people crack, like during a sketch that it's funny. Like if everyone's in on it together, then it's funny. If Mm. you're the only one laughing and the audience is silent, then it's kind of sad. So (laughs) (laughs) that that would be me, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, has that ever happened to you where you just start telling a joke and you're like, this is so fucking good. And you just get ahead of yourself and start laughing or, or are you able to keep your composure? Cause you're a professional. Well, thank you. I'm definitely, I keep my composure, but more so less because I'm a professional and more so because being on stage in front of a ton of people is weirdly sobering. So like you get less caught up in your own stuff when you're in front of a bunch of people that are just staring at you waiting to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, So again, Katie K, we have you on with us. We, we, love and appreciate you so much for coming on with us this is fucking amazing there's three questions we have to ask and then we'll let you go um the first question is if you were guaranteed the right answer to any question what would you ask Ooh, oh man i forgot to think about this one um <laughs> well i'm a big like <laughs> i'm a big psychic like per not not i'm not psychic but i'm into like seeing psychics like i'm very woo woo And so I think I would ask like about the future. I mean, that's not super specific, but I would, I would want to know everything about the future. And if someone would just tell me as though they were looking into like a magic ball, I'd be like, Oh, dope. I hate not (laughs) knowing what's coming. So I would definitely just like find out the future. I don't think I would find out about when I died or how I died, but I would find out my next question everything else <laughs> <laughs> so you want the lotto numbers you don't want the date of death yeah exactly got it got it um another question we ask and tyler and i will join you with this one what is your song of the day today it's something that you've been playing on repeat something stuck in your head a song that you think everyone should should hear what, what is that song for you oh yeah so i've been really into escapism by ray r-a-y-e i think that's how you say it um because i'm a sucker for a british accent and it's just like a really fun song so that's mine escapism by ray tyler what about you go on the classic let's go with running scared by roy orbison nice all right i have uh let it be by the beatles (laughs) Um, (laughs) and that's a little homage to tyler because he says that the beatles are trash which i i i never think you're alone (laughs) well we can talk about it after We'll talk about it after. And the final thing that we ask, Katie, um, where can people find you, follow you, stalk you? What is the best way to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, it's at KDK Comedy on all platforms. So I try to keep it easy and catchy. And yeah, follow me there and keep up with my stand-up dates and my comedy album and all the things at KDK Comedy. And the podcast is at Mostly True Opinions, right? Yes, at Mostly True Opinions. Um, It's on Instagram as well, but I think both Cameron and I have it linked in our bios. So at KDK Comedy and at The Only Cam Shaft too. Um, Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, so your 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 uh, at KDK comedy is is where to go for all the rest of the links as well. Yes, exactly. Perfect, perfect, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, this was this was an I want to be a episode. We'd love to have you back on just to bullshit with you. Uh, probably roast you or try to roast you and see what happens if you're down. Um, yes, we would love to have that happen. Fun. Yeah, I would love that. Thanks for having me. Thank you so Thank much, you Katie. So we'll much. see you here next time. Cool.